last week, basically verses 19 through 26. So I'm going to recapitulate this a little bit because we use some big words that um, I think need a little more explanation and not just the words needing explanation, but what God has done in our salvation to have further explanation and to dig into a little bit deeper so that we can get to the point that Paul wants us to get to as we live out the implications of what our response is to be to what God has done. So in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So I'm going to stop there. This is the word of the Lord. And just to say the word justification, justified in his sight. It, what it means is a very important word for the Christian. Justified means declared righteous in God's holy court. And that happens the moment a person um, is renewed by the Spirit of Christ. That's the first thing that happens in your salvation is justified. Sanctification also occurs instantaneously. You are set apart. You are made holy unto God's purposes. But we also have a word we use for sanctification, which is progressive sanctification, which means while we are declared righteous, we still sin. We still struggle. We haven't grown in the Lord as, as much as we need to. We're still, but as we live and breathe and, and continue to make use of the means of grace and, and live our lives in the covenant with God, um, getting to know him better and, and living out his word in this life more, we are to, by his spirit, die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness so that we gradually, progressively become more like Christ. And what you will see in your life is the more you progress at times, the more you're going to be disheartened because you're going to make progress. And some of the steps of progress are realizing how little progress you've made. And isn't that an aggravation? You know, you like to think that you're getting better and better and better. Look at me, I'm better and better and better. Then all of a sudden, something happens and you realize, well, that was a prideful thing I was thinking. <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, God may deal with you and say, you, you know, you are doing good. Now let me show you a few ways in which you may be unaware um, that you've not yet yielded yourself to me. And then come these things. So God deals with us all in... in um, in different ways, but as his children, it's always as a loving father. But you are declared righteous, and therefore you can be adopted. God cannot have unrighteous children in his family. You are declared righteous. You're a child. You're adopted, and you are being changed. But this is the point he's making. You cannot be declared. There's nothing you can do, works of the law, anything you think you can do to get God to say, you're, I declare you righteous now. There's nothing you can do. So <clears throat> this is Paul's point, and he's going to elaborate that point. But you have to get that point. When God declares you righteous purely by faith, faith in Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, it's Jesus Christ's faith. So that is faith in him and him alone is what we depend on for our declaration of righteousness. So he just got through saying in all these other verses, 9 through 18 is... No one's righteous, no, not one. No one understands. All have turned aside. No one does good. Throats are open grave. Venom of asp under their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruined. Their way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Blah, blah, blah. You're awful. People are lost in their sin. Lost, lost, lost. 
And the good news is, well, I guess it's bad news at this point. By works of law, no human being will be justified in his sight because through the law comes knowledge of sin. So, you know, you may be driving down the road and you're driving the speed limit, 55 miles an hour. Man, you've got it. You're doing good. And I knew a man that said, Kenny Cross White used to say that he believed that driving a speed limit was one of the last steps of sanctification, which I think is funny. And um, so you're driving 55, all of a sudden the sign pops up and it says 45, you know, and it's been 45. You've, you've been speeding and you were unaware of it. And so the law has made you aware that you've now been speeding. And that's what the law does. So you slow down. It doesn't change the fact that you were speeding. There's no law that's going to change the fact that you, you broke the law. You've done it. And so this is what God is saying here is, not only have you been born in sin, but you demonstrate the fact that you are a sinner by your sin. And there's nothing you can do to be justified before God. There's no law that's going to do that for you. Nothing. No, there's nothing. And then he says, but now, this is really cool, the but now, but now, and, and a lot of commentators, Martin Luther, um, Calvin, they all make a point. It's like, this is big deal. Now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Oh, wait a second. You know, there's a righteousness apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the Old Testament does talk about it. It's not like something brand new. The righteousness of God through faith. In Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, this is in the Greek, it's Jesus Christ faith. Not his faith, but Jesus Christ faith. Like what kind of faith? Jesus Christ faith. And that's what we want. A faith that is in Jesus Christ, defined by him, given by him, belonging to him, and given to us. With He is the content of our faith. And God says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that word believe in Greek is also the word faith to all, all who believe do faith, all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He makes this point again. All have sinned and are justified, okay, they're declared righteous by his grace as a gift. Nothing you can do. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. God in his own free will and is for his own glory, for his own purposes, has justified those who believe. How? through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So, justification takes care of your guilt before God. Okay, that's what justification does. You're guilty in the courtroom of God, and justification takes care of that. Um, redemption is being purchased from slavery or bondage. Uh, the Purchase price is called in Scripture, in Greek, a, a ransom. So you've probably heard that word ransom before, and it's become to mean primarily one thing in our lives. To whom do we pay a ransom? Kidnappers. That's what you pay the ransom to is the kidnappers. So you see how it works. Somebody has captured somebody. They've tied them up in the back or something. And they're like, the only way you're going to get them out of bondage is to buy them out. And that's where that word has come into. But now it only seems to mean with kidnapping. But you could also have been sold into slavery. You could sell yourself into slavery. Like, I'm so much in debt that I'm going to have to sell myself to you and I will work until I get it paid off. And then there were people that's like, you're never going to get it paid off. You will never get it paid off. You will be a slave forever. Now, somebody could come along and be, there's a thing called a kinsman redeemer, different types of redeemers. Somebody can come along and say, how much to buy the person out of slavery? 
Okay, if you saw Star Wars, you know, Anakin was in this situation. So you get this kind of thing. How much to buy you out of slavery? And they could say, I don't know, it's going to be like yeah, $100,000. Okay, fine. Here you go. Let him go. Here's the ransom. The price has been paid. You have now redeemed that person out of slavery. Now, we'll use redeemed today as well, but typically it's when you re- redeem a coupon. And I just, I've been trying to figure out how does that work with, I, I can't quite make that word work with what redemption really is. Re- redeeming is you, you are bound in your sin. And if you know anybody that you've been praying for, you might even see this in your own life in some different ways. Um, but a person who is just so bound in non-belief. They're bound in sin. They're, ba- they're in bondage to these things. Um, Jesus comes and he, he purchases them out of the slavery. This is something that happens in our salvation as well. What, what God has done, it, we have been justified, declared righteous through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. And what he's getting at is there's a price that has been paid. You, you were bound by the law to death. There was no getting out of this. In Adam, all fell and all, be, all deserve death. So you're bound by that. So a price had to be paid. The price that you will pay for your sin, apart from Christ, is um, will take you forever to pay in, in hell. I mean, that's the reason hell is forever. There's no way to pay an infinite debt in a finite amount of time. We, we don't recognize the depth of our sin. And if you want to see how bad your sin is, look at how much it costs to buy you out of it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's on his way to the cross, he knows what he's going to do. He knows even now the Father's wrath on sinners, on sin, is being laid upon him. And Jesus prays, Father, if there is a way, let this cup pass, but not my will, but thine be done. And so he still goes, meaning there's no other cup. There's no other way. The only way for sinners to be redeemed, the only price that could be paid is the blood of Christ on the cross. That was it. That's how you know it. And that's how you know how bad your sin is. It took the death of the Son of God himself to become man and humble himself to the point of death and shameful death on the cross, under, being separated from the loving kindness of God, having the wrath of God that we deserve. And, and keep this in mind too, the Bible is very clear that God is wrathful. God is angry with sinners every day. And I told you I'm tempted as I'm running around can't hardly call what I do running, but while I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing around the park in Oakboro, somebody out of the kindness of their heart writes, Jesus loves you, God loves you, and I'm like, that's true. I just feel like I should write somewhere, the wrath of God rests upon the ungodly every day. It's like, well, that's not a very encouraging thought. It is not meant to be an encouraging thought. It is meant to be a warning that you know without Christ, you're hoping for the love of God to be so lovey-dovey or whatever it's going to be that you don't throw people you love into hell. So you're like, I think maybe I'll get off. It's like, his wrath is resting upon you. You're not loving the one who has created you, the one who has the most love ever. And so the fact that God had to send his son 
is how bad our sin was. And then the next thing he says, you got to tie all this together. This is all tied together. You are justified. You're declared righteous by grace as a gift. How does he do that? Through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. So it was, it's our free salvation. It's our free gift, but it's not free to, it costs a great deal. It costs the blood of Christ. Through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom Jesus Christ, so it's a redemption through Jesus Christ, and then God, and when Paul is writing, when he says God, he's talking about God the Father here. So God the Father put Jesus, he's the one that put Jesus forward as a propitiation. Now here's your good word, propitiation. Now, let's see, I wrote this down so I could kind of, sort of, try to get it right. Propitiation has to do with, the, with wrath. Propitiation is where God removes God's wrath from us. It's, it's like an atoning sacrifice is a way to look at it. If somebody is propitious towards you, it means they're thinking favorably towards you. And so what God is doing, when he puts Jesus, when God the Father puts Jesus forward as a propitiation for his wrath, so it's not, and I talked about this, and I won't get much into it again last week, where it's not Jesus trying to talk the Father and to talk him down. And if you've ever had a bad father, you've seen bad father, you see TV shows or whatever where a bad father, and if all you've had is a bad father, you know he's bad because there's a standard. So don't look at God's like, you know, my experience with fathers is bad. How am I supposed to deal with God the Father? He's the perfect idyllic father. He's the one that makes us understand the difference. And so God the Father wants to have a people that he saves for, the, for his own glory, to glorify the Son, and he does this by setting Jesus Christ forward. Now also, you might, if you get your paradigm switched a little bit, it's not an angry father and a loving son pleading, please, please, please leave him alone. It's also not a father that could care less about his son and say, hey, I know um, you're my son and everything, but guess what I'm going to do to you instead? And he's up there going, no, 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 no. And they, they come up with this together in the Holy Spirit. Before the foundations of the world, they're like, this is perfect. This is beautiful. I want to do this. I want to, let me do this, Father. And the Father's like, son, we're good. this is the plan of salvation before the foundations of the world is, 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 is beautiful. And it's to demonstrate justice. It's to demonstrate mercy. How do you demonstrate mercy and grace if there's never been any need for it? Without sin, there's no need for forgiveness. And God does these things to demonstrate a lot of different things, but to glorify himself. So God has put forth Jesus as a propitiation. I wanted to, to read this real quick. This is in a book that we hand out sometimes to people in the church. This is called um, by Del Ralph Davis, The House That Jesus Built. It's called A Welcome to the Church. And this story is somewhat imperfect, but it really it, it grasps the idea of what um, Paul is talking about here as we look at justification and redemption and propitiation, this, this wrath. So he says, um, it, um, there was a, a czarist, his name was Shamel, um, who was fighting against the czarist regime in Russia in about 1870. So his was a guerrilla group, including not only the fighting men, but also their families and their livestock. His organization was his own little universe with laws fundamental to its own existence. Then one day, stealing broke out in his camp and his organization began to fall apart in mutual suspicion. So Shamel laid down the law and announced the penalty, thou shall not steal. And the penalty was 100 lashes. Before long, the thief was caught. 
but it was Shamel's own mother. Now he had the problem of law and love. For the sake of his universe, the law must stand. In no society can stealing be treated with indifference. At the same time, he loved his mother and could not face the requirements of his own law that she should bear the 100 lashes. Who could see his own mother bear such a beating? Shamel shut himself in his own tent for three days, trying to find his solution, and finally came out with his mind made up. His mother, for the sake of the law and for the sake of the whole society, must receive the lashes. How many societies have failed because at this very point they could not hold to the law? But before three lashes had fallen, Shamel had his real and final solution, his revelation. He removed his mother from her penalty and required that they lay on his own back the full measure of every blow. The price had to be paid in full, but the price was paid by him. His law stood, his love stood. The only possible solution was to receive the punishment in his own person. And that is a little bit of a picture of what God has done in his son by us, for us. And so if we get this, that this is as a gift, and it's all by faith. And what I've done in these verses, I've circled every time the word faith has been used, including this word believe, because it's the same root word. And it's, um, we have the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Um, God put forward Christ as propitiation for his blood to be received by faith. In verse 26, this is so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 27, how are we saved? By works of the law? No, but by the law of faith. In verse 28, for we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from the law. And in 29, uh, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. So faith, 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 faith. It's all about faith. That's our connection. Last week we talked about the deep sea diver. It's got the, the, the pipe is not what saved him. It's the conduit through which the means by which the, the, the air comes. And that's how God reaches us is through faith, which he gives us as a gift that's freely given. So now we see in verse 28 that, verse 25, I'm sorry, God put forth Christ as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So why hadn't he been putting everybody to death? Why has he been allowing the um, blood of goats and bulls to suffice? Why has he allowed anybody to live outside of Eden? It's because he's showing that we're in the, the covenant of grace throughout the Old Testament being more and more revealed till you get to the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And now he's like, and here he is. This is why I, God, have been able to overpass all these sins because of what Jesus Christ was going to do. And now he has done it and he's been revealed in this final time to show God's righteousness. So it's not just his, his overlooking of sin. God will by no means clear the guilty, the Old Testament says. So what he's done is he's made them not guilty because he's taken the penalty on himself. So his law has stand, has stood and his love is able to stand so that he's able to become just. In other words, he's able to be righteous and the one who is able to make people righteous. The people who have faith in Jesus. And then he gets to our point. So what becomes a boasting? 
Boasting is bragging. It comes from a prideful situation. It's a, it's a look at me. Uh, boasting look, says look at me, and faith says look at God. Um, boasting says look what I've done, and faith says look what God has done for me, a poor, helpless sinner. Look what he has done for me in Christ Jesus. And he says, so what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. And so the Greek word there, it actually means the way has been slammed shut. You know, here's the door of boasting. Come on through. Slam it right in your face. You know, nope, you cannot boast. There is nothing you can brag about in your salvation. And that's what we're going to really look at here. So by what kind of law? By what kind of law? So what law is there in the universe that allows this? By what kind of law? By a law of works? He said, no, but by a law of faith. So he's using this word law as, like, as we do. He's like, what, what's, the, what's the way God is existing and he's created this universe and the way in which God is in himself? What, what kind of law is there? What kind, of, what kind of meaning and purpose? You know, we talk about the law of gravity. You know, it's like, that's just the, the way things work. And so what kind of way is this working? Is this by the law of works? No, by the law of faith. This is how faith works. This is what God is in with faith. For we hold that one is justified, one is declared righteous before God by faith. And Martin Luther at this point added alone. And commentators afterwards have said, there's nothing wrong with that word alone right there. By faith alone. Sola fide. It's the call, one of the calls of the Reformation. We hold that we are declared righteous by faith apart from works of law. And then he's talking to the Jews again. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes. Of Gentiles also, since God is one. The Shema in the Old Testament says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. And therefore, if somebody's going to justify the Gentiles, those who are outside of the Jewish faith, it's going to be the same God. So how's God going to do that? And he says, you need to understand that your mistake you made in the way you saw the law, was you saw the law as a means of salvation rather than it was a means to drive you to Christ. You were supposed to see your shortcoming. You were supposed to see your need for Christ in the law. Instead, you used the law as if that was how you were going to be saved. And that makes you proud. And that makes you boastful. And that makes you a stench in God's nostrils where he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and at proper time he will exalt you. He will justify the circumcised by faith. That means the Jewish nation. You will be and always have been circumcised. He will, he will justify the circumcised by faith. A couple weeks ago, we looked at all the instances, several of them at least in the Old Testament, where circumcision is circ to rep physical circumcision is to represent circumcision of the heart. It always represented spiritual regeneration, new heart. The same thing that water baptism now relates. You can be physically baptized, but without faith, that's just a physical thing. It's the baptism of the heart. It's the same thing. Jewish people know this. You will always have been, and you will always only be justified by faith. There's not two ways of salvation. There was not a way, like we sometimes mistakenly think people in the Old Testament were saved by works. And in the New Testament, they're saved by grace. 
And it's like you have completely misunderstood the gospel. You've understood the, misunderstood the Bible. You're out of accord with the teaching of the, of the Reformed Church since the 1500s at least as they rediscovered the gospel to say, that's, no, it's not two different gods. It's not two different ways of salvation. It's always been by faith. And this is what he's saying. I've now revealed it. It's faith in the blood of Christ. The circumcised are justified by faith. And these next, we'll talk about Abraham's faith. Next week, that's going to be a fun sermon, talking about how Abraham's faith is our faith. They were saved by, by faith. And also the uncircumcised, uh, the, the, non-belief, the non-Jewish person, also by faith. It's the same faith. So then do we overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On contrary, we uphold the law. So, and we're going to talk about this more next time. But what he means is Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will disappear before my coming. He, it, the law stands, but the demands of the law were fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why he was able to redeem us, declare us righteous, and become a propitiation where the wrath of God where we deserve for our sins has been completely absorbed by him. And now God has no wrath for his children, and all he has for us is love and grace and mercy by faith. And that's where we are. So just for the final few minutes that I have, I want us to think about this boasting thing that says, look what I've done. Um, and whether, you know, you have to think about whether you are, in, in whatever you are boasting, that's what you're going to call and draw and point people to. Whatever it is that has saved you, whatever it is that you believe has made you better, whatever it is, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> okay, sometimes I get this, and I'm kind of grateful for it, you know, how'd you lose weight? And it's like, and I'll say this flippantly, and I probably shouldn't say it, carbs is the devil, okay? Uh, cut carbs. <laughs> Just, and, and I run some, you know, exercise, you know, th- th- this is the thing. So they're like, okay, so, so what's my message? Cut carbs and exercise. Now, that might not be the solution very person. I, I think some people, it's, you know, I get into, then I get into debates of people who are in the YouTube age and they know all these words about, well, it's not really carbs, it's calories and this and that. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you know, so, but there we are. It's like, you know, what made your life better? I lost weight. What made, and some people's like, fitness is their thing. Fitness, I've known some people where it's like, fitness is their guide. If you could just get involved in a fitness program. So that becomes the thing that has saved you and made you better. This has been your solution. This is what you brag in. This is what you point everybody to. And there's nothing wrong with fitness, but it's not a good guide. How did you become so successful? You might say, well, I went to college and worked hard. You can too. So then that becomes everything. You know, education, education, education. That's the solution for everything. Nothing wrong with education. Education is great. But if it becomes your guide, it's a terrible guide. If it becomes the thing, the only thing with which you boast, what has made the difference in your life? Education. That's the reason for the hope that's within you. It's like, come on, there's places for all these things. What is the reason for the hope within you? How do you handle your problems in this life? If we boast before God, even in our own faith, we may see our faith as something that we use to kind of put a claim on God. We say, I believe. Now, perform for me. Make me happy. Take away my trials. Make my life easier. And he may, but if he does, it's by his grace and by his mercy, and not because you've done something that now has a demand on God and he must 
do these things. Paul prayed for this very thing. So if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm beginning in verse 21. There's been these guys showing up at the church that are calling themselves super apostles. And uh, they're saying, you know, Paul's, look at Paul's life. He, obviously not blessed by God, goes through some hard stuff. Look at us, though. We're, we're strong, powerful Jewish men who know our scriptures and who have, um, I don't know, they, they, they probably drove big fancy cars and had rings and everything, or chariots, whatever they had. Oh, they look good. They, they just had whatever it is that you would identify back then as the guys that had it together. We got it, and here we are. And we had to be careful of that in the church because we might want to put forth that image culturally. What does success look like? And so we had to portray that before the world. We had to be careful of that. So in Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21, he says, um, to my shame, I must say, we were um, too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. He's going to start talking about bragging now. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm, I'm talking like a madman. <laughs> he's, he's making a point. He's like, it's not the way you talk. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors. Far more imprisonments. With countless beatings. Often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes. Less one. They didn't want to do too many. So they'd always give you a little mercy and just beat you 39 times instead of that 40th time. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fail, fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through the window in the wall to escape his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions, revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to a third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was called up into paradise. And whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which many man may not, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I'll boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears of, in, from me. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited, that's interesting. You think you go through all that and you become conceited? I mean, he's just talking about everything he's gone through. And you're going to be conceited? Yeah, that's the, you, don't, you don't go through all that stuff and you get conceited about it. But he's going to say, yeah, and conceited just means pride. I, I will look at me, look at me, look at me. So this is what he said, because of the surpassing visions that I was given. God was revealing so much to him. God was revealing so much to him. It had the, it had the real potential of making Paul really conceited about these things. And so God, in his loving kindness, he says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, here's what he didn't know. He's like, thank you, God, for this thorn in the flesh of Satan that keeps harassing me. I really appreciate this. And he carries on. He didn't do this. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that this should leave me. He's like, okay, this has got to go. I mean, three times. And so I don't think it's like, please get rid of this. Please get rid of this. Please get rid of this. Also, what he didn't do, he didn't get two or three other people to agree with him in prayer so that it would happen. Stop that foolishness. Paul is praying, and he says three times. I believe what he did, he probably spent three periods of time in deep prayer and possibly fasting or something, but just concerted prayer for this thing to be gone. And we all have things like that that we pray to get rid of. And I don't know why you have the difficulties you have in your life. It's not always all about you. Okay? Sometimes it's just God says, get through this together. We're going to get through this together. My grace is sufficient. One day, we want to be able to get to heaven and say, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And so he says, I pleaded three times. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's like, okay, I heard that. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. You know, because why? Because that's how his power, God's power is perfected in my weakness. God's power is perfected in your weakness, not in your strength. God doesn't need you to stand up and say, look at me, how great I am. Look at how much I do. Look at what, what I have. Because the other side of that is the person who's like, I am not good. I do not have anything. I am, cannot do it. And then here's the church over here that's like, well, you need to be more like us because we got it together, man. I wish you could be like this. I wish you understood what we understood. Dress right, think right, sing right, go right, be right, do right, have right, get together, got to do it all. And you got it, brother. You know, wear a tie. You know, something. You got to do it. And then the other brother comes in and he's like, you know these people are a bunch of Pharisees in love with the world in love with with stuff. He said, let me tell you, we're lost and without hope without Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, we got nothing to offer God except our sin. Even our tears of repentance have to be washed by the blood of Christ. Christ saves us through faith in him and faith alone. If you think that you've arrived, you think that you've got something to boast for before God, you need to repent of that and say, God, your grace is sufficient. Thank you for putting up with me a sinner. And I thank you every day for the grace of God that carries me and bears me alone. Come in, brother. Worship with us. I love you. Jesus loves you, but you've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ or you're going to be under his wrath and curse because that's what we all deserve for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's the gospel. And if you don't believe that and that's not what you boast in, you're not preaching it. You're preaching another gospel. And God says if it's another gospel, let it be called anathema. And so we have to be careful of these things in our own lives. Last place, Galatians 2. So it's just... Next few pages over. Galatians chapter 2, 20 through 21. 
Paul says in 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, Christ, how did he love you? God loved the world in this way. He sent his only son to die on the cross so that the believers in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Do you know that has he regenerated your heart? Do you have faith? Faith is evidence of things not seen. Faith is evidence of God's work in your life. Faith isn't something that you conjured up. Faith isn't something that you got smart enough. Faith isn't something where God's in his holy temple, crossing his hands, hoping somebody believes so that he can save them. Faith is a gift freely given, lest what? Anyone should boast. It's the word of God. So even your faith is a gift. And therefore, we with Paul know we've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If there's anything, anybody, anywhere could do to save themselves. There was no need for Jesus to die on the cross. So obviously there was a need for Jesus to die on the cross. And it's of his own free will, of his own free grace, so that we might sing his praises. We tend to live our lives on works basis. Something bad happens. I must have displeased God. I must have disobeyed. But what if you're just like Paul, experiencing hardships out of obedience? And what if you're just going through things? What if God is teaching you something? What if you are sinning and you are your own demise? Um, we do need to examine these things and look at these things. But even the recognition of that is purely by grace. So we don't pray for God to give us justice. We pray for mercy and grace and strength, the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding. Paul says to the Galatians, Oh, you Galatians who has bewitched you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now trying to be perfected by the flesh? So what he's saying is lay down your burdens. In Christ you are loved. But maybe some of you never began in the Spirit. Maybe you began in the flesh. And now you're trying to be perfected in the flesh still. Have you really, did, have you begun your life in the Spirit? I mean, it's something to think about. Are you so foolish, O Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, you're now trying to be perfected in the flesh? Maybe you never began in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. We live by faith. Maybe your faith has been a work you did to get something. Maybe your Christian life has been a performance for others. Maybe you've never let the love of God envelop you. Maybe you've been arrogant or afraid. Maybe you just, maybe Jesus Christ's faith is enough. Maybe. So what are you seeking? Love? Joy? Peace? Patience? You desire to be kind and good and faithful and gentle? It's through the Spirit. Not works of the flesh. Faith that God keeps his promises in Jesus Christ. That when we come to the table, we're really receiving Christ. That our faith is his righteousness declared, or he declares us righteous, purchases us, purchases us from slavery to sin, and the blood of Christ on the cross removes the wrath of God from us. There is no condemnation, no performance to be done. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you work for your souls. We come to this table not to get God to love us. We come to this table because God has said, I love you. 
If you've been baptized of water, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray that by faith you're united to Christ by this faith. And he says, if you receive this gospel daily, right now, by faith you've received me, by the Spirit of Christ. And I will give you rest, and I will feed your weary souls. So let's pray. Father God, you've brought us life and hope and peace and health. Help us to live by faith. Help us to, to recognize what you've done. And if we don't believe things that you've done, help us to pray for this faith. Give us more faith. We all plead with you for more faith. Help us to live in this faith. Help us to, to walk in this faith. Help us to, to, to be so enveloped by your love, by your spirit, that when you cut us, we bleed Christ. So we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.